At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Red Inca. I'm Jared Kimber. In this episode of Red Inca, we talk about Arjun Namala, the 20th pick in the MLB draft who used to play cricket on the streets of Andhra Pradesh. For that, we got on a journalist who has been spending some time with him. I'm Kylie McDaniel. I'm a baseball insider for ESPN. We talk MLB draft, shortstops, India, cricket, basketball, Chohai Atani, how much baseballers make, and if the MLB will use Namala to find a new market. Uh, American sports obviously run very differently than cricket in general, but very different to, uh, to sport kind of everywhere in the world. Most young players would come through AAU, travel teams, little league, high school, college, that sort of normal path. Um, it's, it's more of a, it's almost like an amateur conveyor belt to a professional system. Is that a fair way of putting it? Yeah, the, I guess the short version is as more and more money has come into high-level professional sports. I'll, I'll speak for in America, although I'm sure it applies to international soccer and some things that I'm like a little aware of. That as there's so much money and guys are making 15, 20, 30 million dollars a year, TV rights deals are in the billions. The process of trying to find players and paying them hundreds of thousands or millions also gets more sophisticated. And I would argue that the sort of domestic draft in baseball is one of the more efficient markets in sort of the baseball valuation process because the sort of high school, college, uh, summer sort of off-season leagues, the summer showcases, the travel ball teams for players that are in high school playing in the off-season, all those sorts of things are so sophisticated and have like $50,000 pieces of equipment tracking everything. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of figuring out where guys go. Uh, it used to be 10, 15 years ago. You would you could cover a small part of the country and not know who a second-round pick would be, like the 50th overall pick. And now it's like everyone on the internet knows everyone that's going to go in like the first five rounds. Like there's no real surprises in terms of who it is. So that's makes the evaluation process a lot easier because there's so much more information and data and sophistication and sort of the whole process. And in in this particular situation, um, you know, the player we're talking about is Arjun Namala, uh, who it felt like from your article, his parents didn't really know about the 
the mechanics of American sport. And so he was obviously a very good baseballer, but I wouldn't say he slipped completely under the radar, but it took a little while for people to work him out because he wasn't pushed the way that, I don't know, some of the helicopter parents um, out there might do. Yeah, the... So my editor was, uh, I did an article last year about a player who just stopped his season early uh, because pitchers get injured at a very high rate. Yep. He was a pitcher. His team wasn't going to make the playoffs. Uh, and so he just skipped his last three high school starts, ended up getting paid. Some of the other kids that were his uh, rivals, friends, whatever, in the draft ended up getting hurt midway late to the season and cost themselves a million, million and a half dollars. So that was like the feature I wrote last year was interviewing him and talking about that process because that had literally never happened before. Uh, and so my editor, Rachel was like, who's this year's guy? And I'm like, I think Arjun is the guy because I've been told that he is very intelligent and well-spoken for a baseball player, which you often get a lot of like see ball, hit ball, like very boring interviews at all ages, especially in high school. Um, but also because of his Indian American heritage, I was like, I think there's also a little more here, but it's, it's not just he's Indian American. There's not a lot of players like that. Like, that's not a story. That's Mm. like a paragraph. I was like, I think there's more here, but I won't know until I go talk to him. And so, you know, luckily his camp kind of played ball. I got to go talk to him. And I realized after talking to him, the story uh, is that he's a great player. Uh, I think like the third or fourth point is that he's Indian American. That's like a a cool extra thing. But I think the second point was he was like the anti sort of showcase or AAU or, you know, whatever you want to refer to that, that youth establishment. He didn't do any of that stuff. And for like the time when most kids are doing it for years. And then the moment he dropped in, he got plucked by the system and immediately recognized and sort of threw himself in the deep end and was like, I really want to do this. Um, And then went from not on the radar to straight to the front of the line because he was so talented. Uh, And so that sort of, that decision to not sort of jump into the program for me was like the main part of the story because there's other guys that are that good. There's other guys that are that good and just American players. Mm. And then you take that element and the Indian American part of it, and that made him stand out within the other players. And, and, you know, we talk about his uh, heritage. He was born in America, though, wasn't he? Yes. His parents uh, were born in in India. His entire family still lives in India. And then he and his brother were born in the States. And so they go back quite regularly. So you can understand why his parents wouldn't be aware of travel ball and, you know, all the different camps that they need to be at showcases. Also, from your piece, it sounds like uh, I think his family's from Andhra Pradesh and they went back quite regularly um, to that area. A couple of good cricketers come from there, by the way, as well. But, um, uh, you know, it it seems like that is um, they, they spent their times were more normal, you know, less Serena Williams style of, you know, making sure that you get every inch out of them as a child, make sure that they're the most professional could be. He had a very normal sounding childhood while being good at baseball in the background. Is that, is that how I, did I read your piece correctly on that? Yeah, that was, for me, that was, if we're going to say being an Indian American was like the fourth interesting part. And the first part was being really good. The second part was not really being in like summer showcase atmosphere. I think the third part, if we're going to you know say there's four interesting points here, is that his parents did the sort of anti-helicopter parent thing. And were like, don't have video games, play a bunch of sports. School is most important. Try to set yourself up for like a successful life. You're just sort of like, all right, these sound like all the sort of objectively correct answers if they exist. They seem to be going down all the right roads. And then once baseball sort of clicked and it was like, oh, not only do you have a chance to like do this as a living and make some money and that kind of thing, this is a thing you're good at that could pay for college. Like all these things became like a real option. And when when that sort of clicked, which is also true of his brother, he has a chance to be drafted next year and is like a, a similar sort of player, although not quite as good at the same stage, but could be. 
um, they really jumped in the deep end and really did the thing that you would say are the worst parts of what the helicopter parents would do, which is really not like push him, but like give him all the uh, availability and time and resources to chase it. They gave all of those resources, but sort of on the right timeline where he found the thing he wanted to do. And so for me, that was like another like, oh, not being in that whole thing from age eight or 10 or 12 when most players start. Um, that allowed him to sort of develop into it and have it be a thing he chose to do and a, a lot of uh, other things that scouts like, which is like playing other sports and sort of finding what you like. And in some cases, cricket was that thing that it sounded like through age you know, 12, 13, they were going every year or two and staying for a couple of weeks at a time. And then once you got past that age, then it was like, now we're doing baseball, then the pandemic hits. And then it was like a little tougher to carve out two weeks in the offseason because both him and his brother were really sort of in the deep end doing the baseball stuff. I mean, it must have been fascinating for him to go back and play cricket because I, mean, I know that baseball is you know, a derivative of cricket or rounders, whichever, whichever way you look at it, a combination of both in some ways. But um, that it is a little bit different. And you talked about, you know, that before of that scouts now want you to play multiple sports, which probably wasn't the case 10 or 15 years ago when they wanted you to be a specialist in one thing. And now we, we, you know, see these things very differently. Um, but his ability to play uh, cricket would have given him some of the the other skills that you would need for baseball as well. You know, hand-eye coordination, fielding the ball. We'll get to his position position later on where I think cricket might have actually, you know, really helped him. But there's no doubt that, you know, playing that other sport and it would have been a very, you know, they would these would have been street games on Oval Medans in, in India and everything. Um, but they would have been quite serious even if you was only 12 or 13. Yeah, like I uh saying to you before we started recording like i have like just a broad understanding of like i've seen clips i understand the basic idea of like a ball is thrown a ball is hit there's some running yep. you hope to hit it hard you hope to throw it past the guy like those broad things that i know are essentially the same as baseball like it's not obviously like the stiff arm as opposed to the flexed arm throwing it is like maybe the biggest difference and like being able to hit it in any direction as opposed to just like certain directions he actually it didn't make it into the espn daily podcast that uh, i did with Jer- jeremy Shap, but i gave him the audio of our conversation and he basically took like 60 seconds and like explained the whole sport to me and he was like the rules are this <laughs> And I was like, what's the deal with like that rope? Like, what what is that? And he was like, oh, okay. So like the rope, I mean, like, I don't know if it's even probably not called the rope, but like just watching the highlights, you're just sort of like, oh, there's like the, in baseball, we call it a warning track where it switches from grass to dirt in yep. front of the wall. And that's so that the people running toward the wall know that they're off the grass and about to hit the wall. Like, that's the reason it's there. And I'm like, I'm guessing that's not the reason. He's like, no, it's not. And so it's like walking me through it. And I think they realized for that podcast, we didn't have time in the 25 minutes we had for him to explain all the rules of the sport to us. They're focusing more on the human for that. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I I think there's a lot of similarities. And he actually said, uh, which I think was on the podcast, that the... Uh, the thing that like he couldn't do was the stiff arm throwing it that he just he yeah. just couldn't do it, which a lot of times we'll hear baseball players or hockey players saying that they can't both play their sport and play golf at the same time because the movements are similar enough, but also different that it can kind of mess up your swing. Uh, and so the fact that like throwing with a stiff arm and throwing with a flexed arm seems so different to me that like you probably couldn't do both well at the same time. So it's probably good he didn't take to that part of it. Yeah, I mean, he would have you still do normal throwing in cricket as well, because obviously when you bring the ball in from the outfield, you're still throwing in, you know, a normal oh, yeah, style. I guess that is right. So it's only if he's bowling. Shows how much I know. No, 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 that's fine. But it would have been his bowling. And it sounds like that yes. that's what he was explaining to you um, in, in the podcast was essentially saying, you know, I couldn't do the bowling side of it. But even so, there's so many other things. And he's not a pitcher anyway, so the bowling or pitching is not quite as important. There is actually great crossovers between uh, baseball pitching and um and uh, bowling of, of modern times. And of course, now that you guys have got the shift um, in baseball, you know, in, I never understood. Which what, they just outlawed because it ruined the game. Of course. Much. I never understood why baseball, like, 
because in cricket, you move the field all the time, depending on where people are trying to hit the ball. Yeah. And in baseball, it was like, no, 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 we're going to have the same field pretty much for everyone. And uh, it, yeah. it, it's very, very interesting. But how how good is he? Um, I, I know, I think when, when I read your article and you're on that podcast, at that stage, he hadn't been drafted. Uh, he's gone high in the draft, but not, you know, he's certainly not in the top, you know, not a lottery pick. I don't think, I, I don't know how baseball works. I only know basketball. He'd be out of the lottery in basketball, but he was a high yes. up pick. But He was thought to be late lottery and was it was out of the lottery yeah yeah but we don't use those terms but i understand what you're saying um so how good do you think he is uh so this was the the sort of hardest thing to explain because i am so deep into the sort of baseball scouting world having worked on the team side for a while and then i basically write for the super fans and people in front offices is kind of like my main audience well uh, when i contacted someone about you they said that you were very similar to me because i've also done exactly the same thing in cricket and also do stuff for the super fans so it'd be great we'll both be like completely geeky out and neither (laughs) we can talk past each other no we won't understand each other at all understand yeah Uh, yeah. So the, it was actually funny. I, uh, I, somebody sent me an Instagram video today and it was a video of a high school picture. And in the background, you can see me where it's like, you know, direct sunlight with like aluminum bleachers. And so I'm wearing like long pants, long, like fishing shirt, uh, and a, um, bucket hat with like, uh, a (laughs) towel around my neck and a towel across my lap. And my wife calls it my baby in the beach outfit. Uh, but she had never seen me at a game like this because she doesn't really care about baseball. And so because it's on Instagram now, she's like, oh, we have proof. You were there. You were doing your baby in the beach thing. <laughs> but it's just like me and like 80 scouts and zero other people there. It's like such a weird issue. like everyone there is holding a radar gun and wearing a bucket hat and sunglasses with like the roster in their other hand. I was like, yeah, we're all the same people doing the same thing. And like people that have never done that before can't like relate at all. I already forgot what your question was, but I felt like I need to talk about. No, I mean, the game I've I, I need as much as that. But. But so, I mean, obviously you do the, at the analytics and you're involved with the scouting, you've worked with teams. So you have a better idea of how good he might be and how it might translate at, uh, you know, the majors. Oh, yes. I now remember your question. <laughs> uh, so the tricky part is, uh, is explaining in sort of layman's terms what the, what the concerns are about his game and the things you like about it. And so if we're going to do it in sort of broad strokes, uh, because he is the youngest kid in his class of the high school kids in the top couple rounds that has been found empirically to be like maybe the best indicator for people that play his position. So you immediately start with he's big and strong and plays arguably the most important position is an athletic kid and is the youngest. So immediately everybody, like all the analytics guys are in all the eyeball guys are in cause you're seeing everything you want to see. Mm-hmm. So you're like, okay, this guy could go in the top half of the first round. Uh, he is a little heavy footed. So rather than shortstop, I think the most popular opinion is he may slide over to third base, which is just, you know, one notch down on that's not as nine notches. Is that not as important a fielding position? Is that the idea? It's a little, yeah, it's basically more short area, one, two step quickness, as opposed to five, six step quickness. And the, the need for sort of, um, loose actions and being very efficient and athletic is, is like one notch lower. It's basically like one, two step instead of anything within this big circle. And because his, his first step is a little slow and people think he's going to add 20 or 30 pounds of muscle and then lose a step in addition, that's sort of the suspicion, but that's also like from, of the nine positions, it goes from like second to third on the list. So it's like not that big of a deal. 
Um, but because he's so physically strong, has such a good swing, his batting practice, which is basically where you figure out what a guy's ceiling is as a hitter, is what he does when you just throw him ball, you know, instead of 90 in a game, you throw it like 60 and see how far he can hit it. And that tells you an idea of like, okay, if he has all of the other things going on with his swing and pitch selection and all these things, he can hit the ball this far, which means he could hit this many home runs, which means he could be this kind of player, like all that kind of stuff. He has some of the best batting practice that anyone's seen for a kid this age because of that combination of... Um, you know, age and physicality and strength and and easy actions and things like that. And then the sort of thing that sets your floor as a hitter is how often you make contact in a game when someone's throwing 90, throwing curveballs, change-ups, in and out of the zone, all that kind of stuff. He's just okay at that. But part of the reason that 17-year-olds are valued so highly in these uh, draft-like algorithmic models is because they are unfairly discounted for being younger than who they face. And he's generally facing kids that are a year or two years older than him. When he gets to the minor leagues, which will probably be the next week or so, he's facing kids that are maybe five or six years older than him. And so there has to be an adjustment made, but it's a different adjustment for everybody. And so while he has all the components to project him to be able to hit, to have that high floor and then maybe get to that ceiling... You don't know how much to adjust that everyone's different, but he has all the components to project himself to be able to do that once he is playing against his peers, which he hasn't quite done yet. Um, So it makes everyone nervous that the floor is very low, but it makes them excited that there's a chance the floor could be much higher and the ceiling is very high and all the little things you can see there to sort of dream this could be possible uh, they're all there. And mm-hmm. so the list of guys that have a chance to be a perennial all-star, one of the top 30 or 50 players in baseball, there's like six, seven guys per draft that have like a reasonable chance of doing that. And he's one of them, but he's the one that has the biggest chance of being like maybe nothing yep. or, or, or something that doesn't really matter very much in like the scale of Major League Baseball. The, the whole shortstop thing is really interesting. I talked to a couple of friends of mine who have played baseball and, and played cricket, and they all kind of thought that shortstop was the fielding position that is most like a cricket fielding position uh, in that you do have to, you know, um, the way that you move around up other than the glove, of course, but um, you know, most of the other baseball fielding positions out, maybe the outfielding ones, but they're so specialist in the way that you move and you know, your, your couple of steps. Whereas essentially what, what a shortstop is, is very similar to a ring fielder, uh, which everyone has to field in the ring at one stage or another in a cricket match. So from that perspective, I, I, I thought that was interesting from from his development um, compared to everyone else. But if he's going to be too slow to do that anyway, maybe, you know, maybe nothing came from that. Um, the other thing I, I thought it, it was quite interesting because obviously he wasn't about to become a cricketer or anything else. He'd only played a little bit and, you know, probably whacked the ball around on the Maidan. But he went 20th in the draft. Can you tell me how much money he earned by doing that? Ooh. Pull it up. Even if roughly, you know, yeah, I believe it was three million dollars. The expectation I thought he was uh, before the draft going to go somewhere between eight to fifteen, uh, which would have been I think four and a half, and I believe he ended up getting three where he went. Uh, yes, it was exactly three. Yeah, because I, f- I find that so interesting when you look at cricket and baseball because you know cricket is going through this huge money making system, but there's no. We don't have this pathway system where a 17-year-old would be plucked out. And I'm assuming he's going to play in the minors for at least a little while until you suddenly... It's, yeah, at think, least three, maybe as many as five. Yeah. Uh, and if it, it doesn't work out, then you, they technically have your rights for six years. But usually that doesn't end up mattering for most guys. So so generally in cricket, if, if you're a 17-year-old and you're getting paid $3 million a year, which I don't think... I can't think of a single 17-year-old who's ever got that much money before in cricket you would have to be a first team player already. So really is he, what you're talking about here is they're paying $3 million to develop him in five, in four or five years to hope that he becomes a player. That's kind of how baseball works, isn't it? NFL Sunday ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team. Even if you don't live in their town. 
Like, maybe you're a raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live. Because you shouldn't have to change teams, even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Yeah, and I, I can actually, uh, because I'm like a spreadsheet dork at heart that kind of learned how to do the scouting, like hands-on on the field parts of it, uh, I my <laughs> my passion, is, as my wife would say, it is Google Sheets and Microsoft Excel. Um, so when I worked at a place that uh, I'll say is even more for the, the dorks and industry people than uh, my writing currently is, we did math on this because it bothered us when somebody would say like, hey, this team's farm system, which is like their six minor league teams, is it better than this other team's farm system? And I'm like, I could look at it and kind of guess, but like, that's like almost 150, 200 players in each farm system. I can't look at 400 data points and tell you this one's a little bit better than that one or a little more than a little better. Like that seems silly for me to have confidence that my brain can handle that. So we came up with essentially a math equation. And I guess the broad strokes would be if you go through all of the historical players that have been ranked before, you then see what they actually turn into. You can then do like a discounted time value of money of what that would have been worth when they're in the minor leagues. Uh, what they would have gotten paid, and then what a win or a good player is worth right now, and then apply that to players currently in the minor leagues. And it turns out the teams have told us, like, yes, the numbers you're using are essentially the same numbers we're using, which if you're in a front office right now for a baseball team, you'll be trading, like, a player with an expiring contract on your big league team for a minor leaguer. And I bet the values in the team, either of the team making the trade system, will say, like, this expiring contract big leaguer that's 35 is worth $2 million because you're getting half of a $4 million performance or, you know, whatever it is. And this minor leaguer you're getting is worth three or $4 million. And so we have sort of the math to say how much that player is worth. Namala just signed for 3 million. He's worth somewhere between like four and 6 million right now. And if he gets anywhere close to what his upside could be in the next couple of years, he could easily be worth 50 million. Uh, and that sort of translates directly to whenever that day comes where, hey, he's worth, everyone agrees, something like 35 to 50 million. You can trade him for 35 to 50 million dollars of big leaguers. Like it's not like an on paper made up value. Mm-hmm. There is a way to sort of a market, if you will, to immediately uh, transcribe that into something else that maybe makes your team better or maybe you sell high on a player that you think won't get much better. Um, so the idea of paying him $3 million being a lot is a slight discount on probably what he's worth. That's just the way that the sort of closed system works. But the idea is you're investing in you know a growth stock, if you will, that you think is going to go to the roof and there's a chance at 10x is in a year or two. And so if you take enough of these gambles you'll end up having returned, which is like the sort of gross economic way of talking about a human, a human being, being yeah. on a field. Those are like the two, those are the two extremes of the spectrum of baseball right now. Most people lean into one or the other. And often I have to sort of translate, this is what the two sides are talking about. These are the parts we can all agree on. And then these are like the extrapolations of the two sides yelling at each other. So, so the one question I had f- about all this, so he's a shortstop at the moment and we don't know whether that will translate at, at the top level. Is he worth more money as a shortstop than he is as a third base because it's a harder position to fill? Uh, it would be negligible because the sort of thought would be if he, uh, let's say he has a 50-50 chance of being a shortstop right now, 50% chance of being a third baseman. If he definitely becomes a third baseman, that probably means he's bigger and stronger and will then hit more home runs to then make up for the difference. The concern would be if he is a 50-50 shot now and becomes a maybe a 50-50 shot at being a third baseman later, 
the one after third base would be corner outfield or first base, which is like the bottom half of the spectrum. So the problem with third base is not third base itself inherently. There's not a big downgrade, but the one after third base, if you get 250 pounds, say, where you can't, I don't even know what that is in stone or kilo. Uh, but the idea yeah. of him putting on, you know, 40 extra pounds, he probably then can't play short or third if that's where it's going. Yeah. And because of his frame and his age, you can't say this guy won't put on 40 or 50 pounds in the next five or six years. Like that's also on the table. And that sometimes happens where guys that look great at age 16, 17, 18, when you first start scouting, them it's like yeah, these guys could kind of turn into anything there's a guy miguel cabrera that kind of looked like this when he was 19 and now he's just like a fat old guy that's going to go to the hall of fame like that sometimes is where this goes it's, it's hard to really predict those sorts of things and that's sort of the double-edged sword of liking a player this early that could sort of be anything is anything can also be bad but also good and it's usually a mix of the two so his fielding is less important than he's hitting probably in in that way yes if he makes contact uh that I think immediately takes him from being worth, let's say, $5 million to being worth like 20. Um, if you could tell me like his strikeout rate will be league average and his batting average will be league average, you already know inherent in his scouting report that he's going to have above average power, above average defensive value. He's going to be younger than everybody else. So if you could like take that floor and raise it up and say he's going to not strike out basically, uh, then he turns into a totally different prospect. That's like 80% of what people are scared about is that one thing and him performing well this summer and early next spring could completely quash that or it could just become a thing that will be an ongoing concern for the rest of his career. And I was really interested and it's just one thing that you probably had, you didn't cover as much in your article, although you might've done it in the podcast. You know, we've seen players like Yao Ming um, come in to the NBA and then suddenly, you know, that turned into more money for the NBA because they have a Chinese star. India is, uh, as someone who works in cricket, every five minutes I've got a brand coming to me and, you know, saying they want to get into India. Everyone wants to be involved with it. They've suddenly realized there's a lot of people there and, and those people are very, very fascinated by certain things. Cricket and baseball. Suddenly they all got mobile phones and people are really interested in More than one as mobile phones yeah. as well. If you, it, oh, okay, multiple. Way to go. They love that. Very few laptops, my friends, but more than, more than one mobile phone. But, but so there's money there. There's passion there. Cricket and baseball are not quite the same sport, but they're close enough that you you could imagine in any place that baseball is big that cricket would have a chance. So Japan would be a place that if cricket really put a lot of money in, you could see how they 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 might be able to get yeah. something. And the the obvious um, the opposite should be true as well, right? That that you know baseball should be able to move into places where cricket has a foothold, just because the the sports do have an overlap, a similar kind of pattern. You know, slower slower kind of sports in the way that they work is. Is there anything from Major League Baseball at the moment that is keeping an eye on Arjun? And just like, okay, he's mentioned it in your piece. And we, because as far as I can tell, baseball, basketball, uh, the NBA's made a bit of a push into India over the last five to 10 years. Uh, Chris Paul, I think, owns a, a, you know, a, a share in one of the IPL teams now or one of the other cricket leagues. So there is a move towards the basketball. I haven't seen it with baseball. Baseball seems a little bit more. Japan, Korea, America centric rather than maybe going Latin America. Yeah. yeah. Maybe the other big one. Yeah. Latin America, of course. Um, uh, so there's a lot of people in India. There's a reason that we could go. Is Arjun maybe a ticket to at least get more interest in the game from India? Yes, that was so that was the kicker in the article. And I think it was also the kicker in the uh, podcast because the like I said, I thought the idea of him being Indian American is like not even top three most interesting thing about him. But it is something that needs to be sort of covered because it is like the most unique thing about him, even if it isn't the most important thing about him. 
Um, I am familiar with some of the people at Major League Baseball. I noticed as we got closer to the draft and it was pretty clear like he was going to go in the first round or get a first round bonus or whatever. Um, the MLB owned media, which uh, ESPN broadcasted the draft and then MLB Network had the set next to us, which was owned by the league. Um, they also had a lot of features with him. He came to the Combine, which is like, you know, a big event where all the teams can get familiar with the players and they do workouts and interviews and things like that. So it seemed like they were aware, but also any first round pick hanging around kind of gets that treatment. Um, I think from talking to people like in front offices with teams and people that are sort of familiar with the thinking of like the commissioner and, you know, sort of the most high ranking people with the league, uh, there was a push into China. Like I want to say 10, 15 years ago, and a couple players were signed, which is sort of obvious. Like these guys are not going to make the big leagues. There was the movie million dollar arm. A couple cricket players from India were signed. They weren't even cricket players. I think they were javelin throwers. They They came over to get cricket players. And the problem was that fast, being a fast bowler and being a pitcher are not really related. Um, at all yes. and so it, it doesn't work and we've seen it's like 30 percent of pitching in baseball is just throwing it yeah, it's so, yeah the, ha- the hands are important in, in both sports but it's everything else is a bit different and they we've seen cricketers try and become uh, baseballers as well and they they don't cross over as well I, I, so i think there's always this thought that the two sports could cross over but i think they're just too different um in in order for yeah. it to ever be successful there, there'll be freaks of course but but i don't think consistently you'll ever get that in the way that you do you know between the two rugby codes or between gaelic football and, and aussie rules football i think there'll always be a separation but that and there's also a long history of uh, NFL quarterbacks or college football quarterbacks or recruits to be quarterbacks and pitchers uh, doing both. Like almost every year, there's two or three guys that are like that. And obviously like the actual motions aren't that similar, but the sort of skill set of being you know big and strong and athletic and throwing hard, yeah. like those are pretty similar. If you had played both from a young age, you can probably do both, which I would imagine is probably the same with some positions in cricket and baseball. If yeah. you're doing them both from early, they're similar enough. You could do it, but almost nobody's doing both. No, we used to having cricket. That, so baseball used to be, this is really weird, but baseball used to be played in the winter in Australia. Um, and so... Oh yeah, there's some big leaguers from there. I, I mean, that's sort of like a tertiary market where like the, I could name some players from there. There's a handful signed every year, yeah. uh, but it's like obviously a low amount. But but so in the old days, the professional cricketers would play cricket in the summer and then they would play baseball in the winter. And there was always a thought that, you know, that they, that, that could be a farm system. But I think baseball sort of changed the trend. It wasn't as big after that. Um, and and so it went down. But, but the point is that they, you know, there must be an interest of Indian market, even if it's even if it's in the back yeah. of their mind. So how does it? How good does? Yeah, it I think mean? I got derailed. The answer you your did. Question. No, it was so great. Good. I love it. But yeah. how, my question but, is because he mentions um, Shohei Otani. That's good, and yes. I get that. But that's a different world because Japan loves baseball, right? And they know about yes. baseball, and now they've got a famous baseballer, right? That and he just happens to be the best player. It could be anybody else. He just happens to be the guy getting the focus right. And now. he's the best player. So. Japan can't overlook him, right? At that at that point, yeah. he's always. But they been... had Ichiro ten years ago. Like they've had, exactly. they've had versions of the best player in baseball being Japanese, having played in their league. Like this sort of path has been, you know, every couple of years there's a new guy coming over that's really good. Obviously in India or China or wherever. Like I worked for the Yankees when we signed the two Chinese players, and like it was very obvious that they were like, yeah, they're fine, but they're not going to go anywhere. Yeah. And I was working for the Pirates after they signed the players from India, and it's just like, yeah, these guys aren't going to go anywhere. This is, you know, it's not like a publicity stunt, like, but it's sort of like it wasn't real. It was like trying to force yeah. a thing. All that to say, the sort of perception in the States is that the NFL is has like all the uh, football has like the, all the sort of marketing ability and can do whatever they want. The NBA is like the forward thinking, open minded, 
did, tried to go international first, uh, more friendly with young kids and fashion and shoes and whatever. And then baseball is like a bunch of old fuddy duddies that don't understand where things are going. And most recently we just had the rules change, uh, outlawing shifts and changing the pace of play and have had great reviews. It was because they took a guy that used to be a GM that ran a team, let him come into the front office of major league baseball and say, we should do this. And immediately all of his ideas were fantastic. And it was like, Oh yeah. Cause like the people in this front office are part of a front office underneath a commissioner, underneath 30 owners that are like have a certain culture to them. And it's very sort of, you know, country club old mm. money, like that kind of thing. That's not going to be the thing where like Russell Westbrook or Chris Paul goes to China and is beloved. It's just like that sport is not going to work that way. And there's also not many players from Asia that aren't from Korea, Taiwan, Japan. It's just like China, India, you know, pick whatever country that doesn't have like a big leaguer right now. Like th- there's not a lot of crossover and these are not the most famous people in the world. And there's been a lot of, sort of hand in America that like whoever the top five baseball players are, if they don't play for the New York Yankees, no random baseball or random sports fan knows who any of them are. And they're not wearing like the NFL. They're not wearing a mask over their faces. Yeah. Like they're walking around the field and they're the best player on the field. They're making $30 million and they can walk down the street in an away uh, city in the States and people won't recognize them. Like that's part of the problem with baseball, which I think goes back to who the owners are and sort of their approach to things. So all that to say, there was sort of a, you know, sort of forcing it way to try to get into India and China 10, 15 years ago when the NBA was really uh, making inroads there that didn't work. And then they just kind of put it away. And now they're going to London because it's like, oh, well, it's, you know, it's English speaking. It's an American friendly country. They're aware of all the American sports and American politics and things like that. So like maybe they'll be more into it. They've already responded well to the NFL. So let's try that. And I think now they're seeing Arjun as a possibility where if he, you know, does some of those things I was talking about, goes from being worth 50 million or 5 million to 50 million. And two years from now, he's one of the best prospects in baseball. All of a sudden that engine's going to get rolling again, start looking at India and being like, okay, can we, is there a way to do this? I don't have a ton of faith. They're going to figure it out because they haven't really figured mm. it out yet when it hasn't been handed to them. Uh, but they're obviously salivating at the idea of like, we can now sell TV rights to India because they want to watch this player the same way that like, when I worked for the Yankees, we had Hideki Matsui playing for us who was like not the best Japanese ball player of all time but was the best one at the time he got injured and came back to the facility in, in Tampa so like the big league team is in New York I was the facility in Tampa where you're rehabbing and all the minor leaguers are there were no joke 20 to 25 reporters there every day just to take video to show on their local news of him taking batting practice at 50% effort yep. like it was unbelievable how crazy they are for baseball in Japan like you would not believe it and it's the same way in Latin America if like a you know famous American or famous uh, big league player who's from the Dominican goes back to Dominican, they can't go anywhere. Whereas they could be walking down the street in the city they play in, and they might not be recognized here. Uh, there are certain, and so I think you look at uh, both Japan, Dominican Republic, Venezuela, some of these countries being very different socioeconomically, but all responding similarly to baseball. You'd like to believe that that can transfer to another country, but it's like, I would guess, a multi-decade climb after you get a really good player. And so when you're talking about India, it's like, well, we don't even have one good Mm. prospect yet. Well, now we have one. Okay, now we can start this process, and it might take 50 years for all of those things to come into place to where are you good at marketing becomes the question, not do you have a player? Do I have a reason to make me care? Yeah. I mean, don't worry with India. Nothing takes 50 years. So if they come on, they'll they'll come in. Don't worry about that. But I I find it, let's let's say he does hit. And he, he doesn't, I don't, because we've even seen, you know, NBA players from in, with Indian backgrounds and, you know, other Indians uh, across sports. There's always a bump, right? Because there's so many people over there. They're such a sports mad culture. And because they've been so good at so few sports, right? And now they're now starting to break out into these other sports. It feels like to me, if MLB does use Arjun from, from your article and listening to him on the podcast and everything else, 
He seems like a fairly level-headed guy. And part of this comes back to his family, right? Because he wasn't brought up as a 14-year-old sports prodigy and, and everything else. And he's very well grounded and, you know, very well studied and everything else. It feels like he'd be a fairly good person to be the face of Indian baseball if he does get to a point where, you know, he's he's a star. Yeah, no, I that was, I mean, I guess we're going to start listing off more things I, I thought were notable about him. Uh, I've mentioned that, like, sometimes you talk to players and they're just sort of, like, blank slates, which, to be fair, is probably any 16 or 17-year-old yep. anywhere in the world. If some reporter is like, hey, what do you think about the thing you're weirdly good at that you didn't know you were good at four years ago? Like, they're probably going to clam up and just be like, I don't want to say anything wrong. Like, that's mm-hmm. probably what I would have done at that age. And so me coming as, like, a fast-talking, very verbal person asking you a bunch of questions about, like, what do you think about all these kids that you're wildly better than, that you're, like, out of place playing with right now, to give the answers that he gave about, like, every question. Like, I asked him, like, tricky questions, like, how good is your brother? And he was like, yeah, pretty good. Like, we'll see. But here's, like, what he's bad at, and here's what he's been improving at. Like, he gave me, like, the correct answer. And, like, what do you think if, like, do you want to be a role model for India? And he was like, well, that, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but it was basically like, well, that's, like, a lot to put on someone's shoulders, but I would love if they, like you referred to, I'd love if they responded to me the way Japan responded to Otani, and if we could get a World Baseball Classic team, because so many kids decide to play, Mm. that by the time I'm playing, there are more in the minor leagues because oftentimes there's like minor leaguers make up a lot of these teams um, that we could have a team and I could play on it and that could so you could sort of see the seeds of like I'd like to lead a thing but like I don't want that to be like defining to me or be put on my shoulders uh, but I think like you're saying like he is level headed in the idea of like when I asked him like about video games that he likes and he was like oh I don't play video games my parents won't let me but that's probably right like it's probably like the right and I'm just like huh wow that's that has almost nothing in common with the vast majority of young professional athletes I've talked to um, so the idea that he's that at this age, uh, you'd like to think that that will continue to grow, uh, and, and continue to be sort of spokesman level in terms of the way he thinks and talks about this sort of stuff and like his motivation, because there's also like a, I'd say a famous train in American sports of like, uh, Charles Barkley said, I'm not a role model. Like there's some people that just want to like make a bunch of money and like play their game and don't want to like, you know, read kids to books or read books to kids and things like that. And like, that's their, you know. They don't want to be politicians or like brand ambassadors or they just don't want to do any of that stuff. And he seems like open to that sort of stuff in a way that a lot of players aren't, especially in baseball, which I think is maybe the the least open to being like product ambassador and speaking for a whole group of people than some other sports are. Beautiful. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, le- I learned more about cricket. <laughs> this is a dumb American. It's been educated now. Yeah, I'm not sure I helped you with cricket. Thanks for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon where there are many other extras as well, including a Discord channel. There's a link to those in the show notes. Please review, subscribe, and tell all your friends about our show. Word of mouth is the best way of making our podcast grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Barat Sundaresan and Bayram Kazi. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston. Each episode is produced by Ishit Kuberka at Sound Potion Studio. The team from 42 help us out with the video side. Orijoti Saina Paye and Maida Akam, both producing podcasts, while Mukunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube content. Sports Social Podcast Network. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. 
Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.